0: Hi, on me fans, and welcome to po Forecast episode 85. Well, there's another three points for the Blues, and is this the start of a climb up the table? Joining me to talk this through is regular co-host, legend of the podcast, Andy Mitchemore. Well, how are you, mate? Not too bad, thank you, Hugh. <laughs> Happy to be here, as always, mate. Happy to get the three points, and you know what? We've got a really great action-packed podcast, so I'm just going to fly into it, Andy. So we're going to start by reviewing the win against MK Dons. Following on from that, we've got a, and this is probably why a lot of you have actually tuned in to listen, uh, we've got a great interview here with Haji Minoga, uh, Pompey right-back slash centre-back and uh, Academy prospect, who's now really, I'd say, uh, mainstay in the first team. And uh, yeah, we have a, a chat with him for about half an hour um, and we, I won't spoil what's actually coming up in that, so give it a listen. And then to finish off, we are going to go and review or actually preview the game against Donny andy let 's get started it 's another win in a game that Pompey had to really dig deep to get any points and uh how did you feel about the game in general just to get us started?
2: yeah, I think it was pretty much as expected to be fair. I mean in our preview of the game um, last week where we we chatted with uh, with one of the m k Dons podcasts, um, we know that m k Dons were going to dominate possession they had sort of sixty-five plus pen percent possession in every one of their league games up to that point, even though they've not picked up that many points in the league. Um, and yeah, unsurprisingly, they had most of the possession against us. Um, I saw a stat earlier in the week that um, in terms of the the, uh, the top five leagues in uh, in Europe and the top four leagues in England, MK Dons now have the highest average possession over all their games in the season, like above. Bayern Munich, Borussia, PSG, Juventus, Inter, and Leon were the other teams in the list. So it's not a surprise that they're going to retain the ball. Let's be honest. Um, yeah, it's pretty much what we expected. I think I got my prediction right, which might you literally... just took my follow-up question. I literally, Andy, you literally the literate. first time, literally the first time in about seventeen podcast episodes that I've got it right. I don't know where I've got seventeen from. It must be about that. Literally the first time I've got a prediction right on the pod. So I'm going to be living off that for the next hour or so. Um, yeah, I think I the, the the biggest thing that came out for that of that performance for me was that it looked like there was the such a good work ethic. In the last 20 minutes when, I mean, we're going to talk about in a bit, the formation change, what worked, what didn't. Um, but in that last 20 minutes, the, the work ethic was 100%. And I know that a couple of weeks ago, there were some comments. I think Guy Whittingham said uh, as well that it didn't look like the players were necessarily putting in that shift in for the, like, doing that extra 5%, going to 105, 110% for the manager. Um, on this occasion, it did look like that. And as I'm sure we'll cover, I didn't love the formation we ended up with, sort of the 5 3 2 with almost half of the team sitting deep and inviting MK Dons onto us. But in terms of the organisation and the work ethic, it, yeah, I don't, don't really have a bad word to say about it, regardless of what the final score was.
0: Yeah, and it was a really bright start to the game, obviously. And, you know, it set pieces has been something that Pompey have needed to, to really work on. And I was listening to Tom Naylor's uh, talk after the game, and he said that, you know, the players knew they had to work on it. He cited the Brighton game, how many corners they had. And I know the fans listening to know how many corners Pompey have had. As it has been a, a topic of conversation. But Lee Brown steps back in. Uh, for Cameron Pring and he actually looks like in my opinion the best set ball delivery we've actually had all season so far he's had some some good crosses his corner's been better than most people's um, and he's had a couple of shots on goal as well so Andy is it important or how important is it to be getting those good deliveries and is Lee Brown there is he the man basically to take them from now on
2: so I mean I've, I've said this in our in our group chat on Twitter that I think even what a couple of games ago when Pressure was definitely building on the side and you could argue it's still there. But I think he was one of the players, if not the player that's come out of the season with the most credit so far. Bearing in mind that for a number of weeks when you get that team announcement at two o'clock there's always comments saying oh Lee Brown, why is he starting and making various comments. But in the league this season I would say he's been one of the players that has come out with the most credit in terms of consistent performances. Um His dead ball. I think he's certainly being helped when uh, Harrison is starting instead of Marquis. So that um, the corner routine with Lee Brown taking the corner and Harrison at the far post. uh, I think that produced goals against Burton, and it looked really, really dangerous uh, in this game against MK Dons as well. And having Harrison there as such a physical presence at the far post has has really made a difference. We've created so many chances, and it's I know it's the, the new big. Funny comment thing at Portsmouth about um, you know how many corners we've had, et cetera, and everyone makes these these funny comments. But with Harrison on the pitch playing that role rather than Marquess, those corners are actually looking like more dangerous, you know, goal-scoring opportunities. But as you say, from the from the dead ball, almost scored from what was it 40, 45 yards against. I want to say Rochdale, off the top of my head, I think in the the nil-nil draw. Mm-hmm. Uh, that might be wrong. It'd be awkward if it is. But it was one of those games where he yeah, he almost scored from 45 yards out. Um, and generally, yeah, the, the dead ball routines have looked a lot better um, for me since since Harrison came in for Marquis.
0: Yeah, and it's a good header, isn't it, from Tom Naylor, who said he knew he got a good um, connection on, on the header but wasn't sure if it was going to go in or not. So after quite a bright start there, two minutes in, you know, Pompey take the lead. Uh, Ten minutes later unfortunately Bryn Morris gives away that penalty inside the box now as far as Bryn Morris goes he's been a controversial figure for starting the starting lineup and uh, he's not doing himself any favours there Andy by coming back and giving away the penalty is it just a bit clumsy from Bryn Morris is it maybe a bit of? is it is he just keen to get in there and you know is it just a bit of I don't know is he just overcommitted for that reason or do you think it's just one of those things
2: in football I mean, yeah. I mean, the clumsy was exactly the word that I I made a note of. So I'm I'm now so professional. I actually made notes watching the game in advance of the pod. Um, Don't lie to the listeners, mate. What making up to go along? Yeah, <laughs> yeah sure. sure. <laughs> um, no, so clumsy is the note that I made. I think we could sit here and sort of take it apart over a course of fifteen, twenty minutes. But in reality, it happened over the course of a tenth of a second, half a second, whatever. So. I mean, I know that it's become, again, it's one of those things that people, I mentioned the Lee Brown thing already in terms of people commenting on Morris being in the starting sheet. Um, and it was interesting talking to John T last week, his opinions on whether, you know, the Ben Close hadn't really taken the opportunity he was given to take that role in the league in, in the, the cup game against Southend. Um, I think we've just got to accept that Kenny wants to have a good spine to the team or a, a, at least a sort of a solid spine to the team who are used to playing together. So Raggett and what more as the back two and then um, Naylor and Morris playing in front of them in the, the sort of the CDM role. So I think realistically that's going to be there to stay. Um, but yeah, it's just one of those things. It was a split second. It obviously was a bad decision in highlight in uh, in hindsight, excuse me. Um, but yeah, it happened in the space of half a second and is. Very frustrating, but I don't think it would have garnered quite as much attention on social media if it had been another player that had done it. So if you look at last week with Naylor scoring an unfortunate own goal, people moved on from that extremely quickly. Um, and I think probably more attention got focused on this because of who it was as a name that people sort of focus on anyway. And there's, there's obviously a lot of pressure on Morris at the moment.
0: Yeah, no, undoubtedly there is. I mean, it's a clumsy, it's a clumsy challenge, however, however you look at it. But, you know, these things happen. Um, and then Pompey got the other end. And whilst the Morris one was a, was a stonewall penalty uh, against us, you, you've got to look at that one. And I mean, I've seen it on the replays, it is one of the, it is a penalty um, for Pompey. But it, it's one of those ones that doesn't really get called that much in League One, from, from my recollection.
2: And uh, were you surprised to see that penalty given, Andy? surprised yeah um, for the reasons you've just said however if that happens outside the box the ref gives it as a free kick yeah. so surely mm-hmm. if it happens inside the box it be a penalty um, I think yeah one of the problems with football mm-hmm. in general is inconsistency and yeah I think if if that is given then quite right too but I think it just needs that sort of foul needs to be consistently given the referee was obviously keeping his eye on consistently uh, jostling in the box so every time um, MK Don's had a set piece after that and the ball was in the box their players were going down like nine pins trying to get the referee's attention to any sort of touch from a Pompey defensive player Um, but yeah I think we just need consistency I think it is a penalty but it was a pleasant surprise to see it given yeah in, in the box
0: yeah, massively. And I was, do you know what I was pretty happy about as well as Harrison got the ball, stepped up, takes it. Um, he hit it hard, didn't he? The keeper actually sort of got a few fingertips to it, but it um, manages to go into the back of the net and that's going to do Harrison's confidence as well. The world of good, even if it is from the spot, you know, strikers getting goals, breeds goals. Uh, and that's exactly what we need now from Ellis Harrison, who for me at the moment, it looks like the player to lead the line um, over John Marquis just because of the way he plays and the way he fits into the formation. But, Andy, have you got any more of those famous notes you've told everyone that you wrote down about this game?
2: I know you're putting me on the spot and uh, making it seem like I actually made lo- a lot of notes. <laughs> um, so, I did actually write towards the end of the first half I wrote, Lee Brown, honestly looking really good. Um, and I don't think it was meant to sound as surprised as it comes across. Um, but, yeah, I thought he had a very solid game. Um, it was nice to see when we were defending, we were keeping Harness and Harrison Ford, um, which was a bit of a change yes. to some previous games. So one of the issues we had towards the, second half, uh, towards the end of the second half when we were a bit you know, under the cosh was that we didn't have that get-out ball or that breakout ball. And the reason we did have that in the first half is because you had Harrison and Harness not tracking back as much. As, it was almost like we were playing two up top while we defended in the first half. Um. So, yeah, Harness was staying quite a long way forwards. And on the other occasion, he did track back into our own half. Him and Curtis looked really dangerous on the break as well. So that that Jacobs-Harness-Curtis break looks really, really dangerous in terms of quickly moving the ball um, from a defensive position to an attacking position. Um, yeah, to be honest, the first 45, 50 minutes very little criticism in the slightest. Like, I'm, even to be, to be fair, even the, the second 45, I mean, we'll come on to it, but the first 45, I made literally only positive notes other than the, the giving away of the penalty.
0: Yeah. And then, then let's um, go into the, into the second half. and Obviously, you've got the change. Ronan Curtis comes off. Do you, do you think his performance war- warranted to be subbed off Andy? Um, I mean, like, let's be honest, I was on the holiday so I'm really looking <laughs> at the game. Uh, it's my one holiday of the year. So I'm going to lean on you for this one, mate, and just say, um, do you think his performance really warranted being subbed off? Or do you, do you actually think that it was a tactical move rather than an individual performance move?
2: I certainly wouldn't say that Curtis's performance was at the extent where you'd expect to be subbed at halftime. Absolutely not. Um, it was for me, certainly more tactically based. So in a moment we're going to speak about whether or not the change in formation worked but the rationale behind the change in the formation trying to negate the threat that was being posed by MK Dons um, at the at the time i i completely saw the logic behind it and i have absolutely no issue yet it's, it made tactical sense to go from that initial formation of 4231 to sort of a three sort of a 352 more some sort of formation playing three centre-backs to try and negate the, the number of players that MK Dons were leaving forward, so having at least two up top at all times. Um, yeah, it definitely made sense. I would say it was definitely more of a technical switch than a performance-based one.
0: It's a tactical switch, but I think, you know, Marcus Harness gets gets the hat-trick the week before in the league, um, and maybe maybe that leads towards Kenny Jacket keeping Marcus Harness on, rather than maybe Marcus Harness might have been a player previously to give way, uh, rather than
2: Ronan Curtis. Maybe, but even if that is the case, can you disagree with the logic? I mean, the man scored a hat-trick last week and was having a pretty good game, well, a very good game this week, um, linking up with Ellis Harrison, I mean... That logic seems pretty sound to me. Hey, I'm not against it.
0: Probably man of the match was Craig McGivory. uh, Big Mac. He's made some key saves in the game. Scott Fraser, and I'm going to pull my own, give myself a medal here, because I said he'd score, Andy. You might have got the score, right? But I actually went out on a limb and said Scott Fraser would score obviously from the penalty spot. Uh, but he also had a great shot from outside the box, which uh, McGivory just pushed wide, um, got a strong hand to. Um, how important was Craig in the performance and in getting the three points for Pompey?
2: Yeah, I mean, I don't know what the XG was, the expected goals was for MK Dons in this game. I've not looked it up. Not going to pretend I did that much research. But based on it the shot... Notes, mate? It, no, I didn't actually make a count of XG as I went along. I'm not quite that um quite that tech or math savvy um, my bad um, no so um in terms of like the the shots that that craig mcgillivray saved you'd expect i think one of them to probably go in over the course of the game his save at the where he ran across his goal line to make a save at the far post from a low cross was su- such like such good footwork to get across your goal line at that speed um the shots from outside the box Generally, they're ones you'd expect to save. Um, but obviously, you've still got to make those saves and you've got strong hands to them. So he's looked seriously reliable since he came back into the team other than a slightly dodgy moustache. Um, but other, on, other than that, in terms of actual football, he's looked completely solid since he came back in. And I'm a big advocate for um, for Bass as well. I think he's a very good goalkeeper. Um, and I've seen him have a couple of stunningly good 90 minutes for Pompeo. Uh, a couple in the league and one in, in the cup at Oxford last year. But yeah, since, since uh, Craig's come back in, it's impossible to argue with his performances since he came back in. And as long as that keeps happening, you can't really see a situation where Bass would break back into the first team in the near future. In terms of the formation change, we ended up playing what more um, Nikolaisen and Ragith as the sort of the back central three. And obviously we got penned in a lot in the last 20, 30 minutes where um, right and left-sided players were both playing very defensively as well. So we ended up having, like, um, ended up having like basically five at the back um, and just got penned in. We didn't have an out ball. Um, the issue there was we basically lost a man going forward because we were playing an extra man at the back and no one really was able to break out. So none of the three centre-backs, other than Watmore on a couple of occasions, were able to really break out and bring the ball forward. Um, so that's why we got penned in having said that like like I like I led with the work ethic was it you know 100% couldn't argue with it but if we're gonna sort of pursue that formation in the future it's going to be a case of finding a way for, to not get quite as defensively minded and have you know if you've got five players sitting on your 18 at the edge of your 18 yard box you're not gonna get forward too much in the game are you let's be honest five plus the goalkeeper that's over half your team in your own defensive third—it's—it's it's not going to lead to many, many attacking performances. But um, yeah, I could like I say, I'm not going to slate on that because I could completely see the logic behind it at the time. So yeah, I'm not going to be sort of Harry hindsight and 2020 vision here. But came out with the three points. MK Dons are going to finish higher up the table than they are now at the end of the season. That might look like a genuinely good three points. I think.
0: Yeah, and if they keep playing like they are, they definitely are going to start getting up more points. And it's all about that striker. I think they signed Cameron Jerome, didn't they? Um, who's not a player that I think will fire them up the league, though. So let's hope that's not the last piece of business they do. Let's move into the next part because that's what everyone's tuned in to listen to, Andy. Um, And Me and Andy here spoke to uh, Pompey defender Haji Minoga um, and yeah it was a great chat let's just lead into it there's no point me setting it up too much now because here it is me and Andy talking to Pompey defender Haji Minoga. Hi we've got a very special guest on the podcast tonight and uh, welcome to the podcast Pompey defender Haji Minoga how are you mate?
1: I'm good thank you how are you?
0: Yeah, we're really good, thanks. And uh, thanks again for joining the podcast. Mate, Really really it. We know you're a busy man.
1: No, no, I was excited to be on.
0: No, awesome. Definitely. Well, I think all the listeners are going to be particularly excited uh, to listen to this. So um, let's just get started. I know you're busy. So let's crack off from the start. So can you talk us through how you got into football, uh, how you ended up at Pompey and how you made your way through the system to where you are now?
1: Um, I started playing football because of my dad, really, he used to play football. When well, when he was a bit younger, he's played. He's about he's forty-one now, maybe, and he still tries to play as much as possible. So I always go out watching him, going to his matches, and that's how I got into football. Really, And I joined Portsmouth when I was I was in the development centre when I was younger. I think around five six. I used to play for Mill Milton. That was the club that I played for when I was younger. So I started playing football there. I was in the development centre. But then after the development centre finished, I didn't get taken on afterwards because they said my attitude towards football wasn't really there, which I guess is a bit understandable when I was that young because football was kind of just a bit of fun for me. So I used to just go along and just enjoy it, really, just doing what my dad used to do. But then when I was kind of, I was eight and I was just still playing for Milton and then I had, it was a bit difficult because they tried to contact, they had only my dad's details, like his phone number, stuff like that. But he was on holiday. So they tried to contact him, but obviously they couldn't get through. And then when he come back from holiday, he was like, oh, he had bodies. And then uh, I got invited along for a trial. It was a six week trial. But I kind of had one, I think it was a couple of days training. Then we played against Eastleigh and we won. And then I had a four weeks training and then we played Southampton and we beat Southampton. It was the first time that they beat Southampton in a while. And then straight after that game, they was like, we really want to sign you. And then, yeah, I signed halfway through under nine season. And then I've kind of been at Portsmouth
2: ever since then you've been at Pompey as you've gone through all of your school years as well so one of the things we've we've spoken to some former uh, former Portsmouth players about was that balance between like football as they're going through like teenage years did you find it pretty easy to balance two of them or were you pretty confident you were going to make it as a footballer so you weren't as bothered about school or like where were you at with that
1: uh, in regards to football, I was a bit. Whether uh, I always had a bit of belief in myself, but to be fair, I used to be quite under average as a player. Um, so, always kind of knew I had I had a backup, but I kind kind of when things got a bit more serious, kind of under 15s is when. And um, wait, so when I was in year 10, I think it was, that uh, they started to do day release, I think. But uh, my school didn't let me go. So I wasn't allowed to go. I used to miss that day's training, um, which I was obviously in school for, which was quite frustrating. I didn't I didn't really like school, to be fair. I wasn't the best behaved at school either. But um, my GCSEs were... I came out well. I was always quite bright at school, naturally. So I was quite fortunate with that. So that was, I guess, a big part for me that I always kind of focused on football and a bit on school. So that was quite lucky for me, which I'm fortunate with. But um, then in year 11, I did get the chance to go on day release, but it was kind of on the terms that I went to revision classes and stuff like that after school so it's quite good that the school helped me with that they kind of made me do it but um it was one of the teachers at the school which had a good relationship with that kind of suggested that so that was good and then I came out of school with decent GCSEs so that was quite positive for me
2: so you, it sounds like you managed to balance the two pretty well. Did you have a backup sort of career in mind at that point, or were you just thinking football's plan A, and like we'll deal with plan b if we if we need to?
1: um I remember <clears throat> in year eleven um I hadn't found out whether I was going to get a scholar yet or not, and I was going uh, into the college like open days just to look at some of the courses and stuff like that. I went in with my mom just as a backup really, but my main backup that I would like to do is is um I'd like to be a chef.
0: That's cool. Is is anything in particular the the reason why you'd want to be a chef if you're not a footballer? Do you just like cooking or is it something professional you thought of before?
1: Um, so football is kinda of from my dad, but then I always used to cook with my mum. So it's kind of a passion that I got from my mum. I was, just always used to always want to help her cook and she taught me how to cook and stuff like that so it's kind of a passion that i got from my mom, and i really enjoy cooking now like cooking meals and if it's something that i can venture into in the future i'd like to be able to do that
0: that's cool actually um my mom uh, is a big cook as well um so from the age of sort of 13 i actually had to draw up a sort of um cook basically one meal a week and i had to write on the on the board uh, in the kitchen, what I was going to be making effectively. Um, so is, is that sort of the sort of thing you've been doing? Because I think that's a, that's a pretty cool hobby as such.
1: Yeah, you, I try to cook at home as much as possible when I'm, when I'm there. Um, my mum always cooks a pasta bake on Monday. That's her day to cook, really. And then I kind of feel in some days as well. Along with my other siblings,
0: and just just quickly before we move on, um, you said that you got your passion from football from your dad. Um, is, is he a, is he a defender as well, or um, is it is he a striker? And you know, how did he sort of encourage you to get into football?
1: Um, so my dad he's actually quite short, but um, I feel like I get my rough, not less, well, strong side of the game from watching him because. I never used to be as big as I am now. I used to be one of the smaller ones. So I always used to watch him go flying into tackles and that outstrength people, even though he was small on the pitch. So he really taught me that aggression and that desire. And he's always told me to go in 110% because that's what he had to do because he was smaller. And I always used to watch him kick people and he used to get kicked back a lot because he was small. But um, that's what I learned from him, really.
0: No, awesome. Yeah, uh, I, I I feel that. I'm a competitive person as well. So um, I know um, I did, I've did. never played to a decent standard of football at all, mate, but um, I've always been the one to have that. this be a little bit extra competitive, maybe a little cheeky clip on the ankles. But um, that passion's uh, obviously seeing you well because, um, you know, you're around the senior squad now um, for, a, for a lot of games. And how did the transition from the youth set up towards the senior team go um, and who in the senior squad has actually helped you with that transition? Is there anyone in particular who's helped as well? Oh,
1: I think the transition for me at first was quite difficult because um, I can be quite shy and a bit timid sometimes and a bit quiet. So when I was a bit younger, still kind of in the academy set up, going up, I was a bit quiet. But there was players like Jamal Lowe and Anton Watts, They really helped me. They looked after me a lot. And in the squad now, like to be fair, there's most of the boys that are really nice there. I think uh this season a lot more that I've been around it. I'm I'm a lot more comfortable and a lot more confident in the group. And like the likes of like Andy Cannon as well. He's really looked after me. And most of the boys as well, to be fair, everyone's been really good with me coming up and just the whole kind of atmosphere around everyone's quite positive and it's It's enjoyable, to be fair, it's a nice atmosphere to be around because everyone's kind of, it's good, everyone's quite happy and people joking around, so there's that element of that, but everyone's still serious and wants to work hard and kind of get the job done at the end of the day, so uh, it kind of fits me because obviously I like working hard and then it's nice coming in when people have a bit of a joke with you and and they make you feel involved in the group as well.
2: That's cool. Um, You've obviously also represented um, England at at youth level up to, uh, is it under 17s, is that correct? Under 18s, one of those? Um, So, under 17. So, could you talk us through how you felt when you got that initial call up and talk us through what it's been like representing your country at that level?
1: I was quite shocked. To be fair it was it wasn't necessarily something that I was expecting to happen, so to me it was quite a shock. Well wow. I was quite speechless when I found out i was and I was buzzing but um yeah, I remember I went up to the office and I thought I was in trouble but um then i I walked in there and then uh liam Dace and Mark Kelly were sat there and then on the table was the letter from England. And then I kind of looked at it and I was like, I was like, just thinking to myself, wow. And then they kind of told me and I was just literally just sat there smiling the whole time and it was really nice. And then I told like the lads that were there and they was really chuffed for me as well. But that whole experience was, it was surreal to be fair. It was something that I never necessarily expected to happen. But now that it has happened, I want it to kind of happen again. It's not something that I just want to happen as a one off. I want to kind of get back into that setup.
2: You found the, sort of the style of football, if you're playing top level international football at youth level, how does it compare to playing senior football at a sort of a League One level, do you think, in terms of like whether it's a, a different style of physicality or, or anything along those lines?
1: I think physically at England, um, I was a bit surprised to be fair. Um, Like, it's different kind of men's football to, like, say, under 17s football, the players. I wouldn't say there was as physical as the men's football in League One, but um, they still all have, where most of them are from, Premier League clubs, very technical players and, uh, like, defending against some of them in training. It wasn't necessarily difficult, but it was different to defending, say, in our training, because so they rely on different things, maybe where they're not as big. Um, but um, both you can take a lot of pros out of both of them because they are different, but they're also very similar. And I just feel like defending against players like that, and then defending against players in, say, training at Portsmouth, it helps you develop a lot better because you kind of get two worlds of it Um, but yeah if the players there were really good obviously coming from high Premier League teams but um, I I didn't think that it was like out of my reach or I felt out of place and I could be confident in myself that I feel like I could still slot in now and do a job
0: yeah, massively. I me mean, I remember watching you? I think it was a couple of years ago now, um, and you and you played. I think it was against Crawley, um, and it was a friendly. I think at the start of the season, and you know, I thought, right, you know, uh, we've got we've got a proper player here. Um, you know, and it was quite exciting to see. And I just think that you know, from there, um, and I'm guessing at the time that sort of ties in with with England. Then, uh, where do you feel you, you sort of strengthen your game uh, in in the last couple of years from that point? Uh, And is there a part of game you still want to focus on and things you still want to improve on?
1: I think overall I've improved quite a lot coming on. I feel like I've always had that bit of physicality about me, but I think that I use it a lot better now and to my advantage now. Um, I think technically like on the ball with decisions I've got better, but it's still an area that I feel like needs to be improved. But it's something that can come with experience because playing in academy football I used to play as a centre half so the game of right back's is a bit different to centre back especially at youth level so kind of I wasn't used to kind of attacking or crossing things like that so I feel like that's the area if I'm going to be playing right back or that's an area that I can look at improving
0: where do you prefer playing
1: um, to be fair, I don't have a real preference. I like I like right back because it allows me to kind of get up and down the pitch, and it showcases like my fitness, my stamina, and I like running with the ball, and I like defending. But I feel like centre half. I'm quite defensively sound. Like I feel comfortable there as well, and it's a position that I I can play and I enjoy playing there, but overall I love defending so right back or centre back I'm happy to play That's
2: cool you can fit in where needed um, we've seen in especially in the recent years Pompey have loaned out a lot of the younger players in the, in the club to local sides around the south coast to get some first team game time um, obviously this season you're aiming to nail down a starting place in, in the Pompey first team do you feel like you progress more as a, as a player, training around the players you've just spoken about at maybe a, a bigger club like Pompey or for you personally, do you feel like you get more playing first team week in, week out competitively at a team that might be in a lower division?
1: I think there's, there's pros and cons to both scenarios. I think at, at Portsmouth now, I think it's good for me because I did used to be a didn't necessarily feel like I fitted into the squad. So being around it a lot now, I feel like I've built a lot of relationships with people there and I feel like I fit in more now and my confidence is there. And especially I'm training with players that are playing week in, week out in League One, which is the level that I want to be playing at right now. So if I can prove it in training that I'm good enough, then I feel like it might help me get my chance to play more. But Going out on loan to a uh, lower team, there's always that you're playing against, say, a uh, decent standard. You're playing at a decent standard. You're playing against a decent opposition and you're proving week in and week out that you can play at that standard. So that's when you, someone can look at you and say, he's too good for this, he should go up. But there's this kind of pros and cons to both, really.
2: Yeah, I guess like the, the tradition of you, I guess, would be you improve best by playing people at a higher level than you. I mean, that's what I've always done yeah. with, with sport, like a much lower standard, obviously. But I feel like I've improved better when playing around players who, yeah, I know that are actually better than me at the game. Um, do you think that you said you're feeling like very comfortable around the squad now and you've got good relationships after a couple of years about being around the first team? And obviously you've been at the club for what like 12 years now. Um, do you think that one of the issues with, the, with going out on loan could potentially be like a settling in period or having to kind of start that process again or do you feel like it'd be pretty comfortable settling in a, a club because realistically it probably wouldn't be that far from Pompey like geographically?
1: Um, yeah, I think settling in, I feel like I, sh- I struggle sometimes to settle in places so that might be a problem for me but um, as long as the people around me kind of supporting me, then I feel like that settling in period short shortens. So this season, I feel like if, if I came into the first team kind of with the players that we had now, earlier, then I feel like I would have settled in a lot quicker. So I feel like it's kind of, if I'm doing well, if I'm performing well, then I have that confidence within myself that I'm doing well. So I kind of don't, feel Like a bit of an outsider, but until I kind of prove that, I don't sometimes feel like I fit in. But, um, if say if I went on loan somewhere, then if there's people around that talk to me, because I'm not really that big on go, going up to people and necessarily talk to someone if I don't really know them, but if I went somewhere where they kind of helped me settle in and things like that, then I feel like my performance would be better as well on the pitch.
2: So do you think that if you, let's say hypothetically a player goes to a club, would you say that that helping you settle in period, would that be down to a manager in your eyes or the other players or a defensive coach? Like who who would you look to just out of interest in, in any sort of club to help a player settle in?
1: I feel like it could be anyone that, Is kind of in the club because as long as you have one person that you can go to and talk to, like if you had something to say about the game, you can go to them and that can help you build relationships with other people kind of around that because you have someone that I feel like going out your comfort zone is good sometimes, but if you have one person there that can kind of help you build relationships with other people, then that helps you a lot. And I feel like that's kind of what's helped me this season that it's kind of been around. Obviously, I've known the coaches in the academy for long, especially like Mark Kelly, people like that, and then that's kind of helped me push on to get more comfortable with other staff. But I feel like going into the setup this season, it did put me out of my comfort zone a little bit, and it's forced me to gain skills of necessarily approaching people that I wouldn't usually, which... Again, I feel like there's pros and cons to both because I could get trapped in somewhere where I don't know anyone, and I'd be forced to go talk to people, and then uh, I could help me build that skill of approaching people and building relationships off my own back, kind of, rather than waiting for it.
0: Yeah, I think sometimes it's being thrown into the, to the deep end and sort of like you know treading water. You got you got to learn to swim or you'll sink, sort of thing. Can can be that little push that you know helps you go forward and. Um, I suppose um, I, last week I spoke to, to Alfie Stanley down at um, at Bogner, um, and he had uh, Robbie Blake there. Um, was Robbie Blake at Pompey coaching within you there as well? I'm just trying to work that out in my yeah, head. Yeah, he was. Yeah, he was. Um, and, it, and it was quite, it was quite good to see that he was there to obviously I've seen him before with other players. They give that that sort of advice and, and mentor somebody as such. So um, yeah, I'm just rambling now, but we'll move on move on to the next bit. But um, we're seeing a couple of different formations used at Pompey at the moment. Uh, is there a formation you feel you fit in best with? Obviously, when you can play in three at the back, you can play across that three or you can play in the in the wing-back sort of situation. Do you feel that suits your game better? Or
1: Yeah, I played... I feel like, especially in my youth career, I've played well when we've played three at the back. I remember one time... Uh, I think it might have been under-16s. We played Chelsea. We played 3-5-2 and I played the right side of the three. And um, we beat Chelsea 1-0 that day. And that's why I never forget it because um, (laughs) I played really well. And I feel like, um, especially, I know Harry Kavanagh was right wing back and me and him always had a good relationship. So um, even though I was playing right centre-back, I still had a really good game, but I feel like, especially Tuesday playing right wing back, I had a had a good game as well because um I feel like I've got the engine to get up and join the attack, but also get back to defend as well. And um I think defensively as well, you're a bit more defensively sound when you have you have three at the back because um if any of the centre backs get drawn out, then you have the cover and you have the other wing back which can cover around as well so it gives it gives the wing backs a lot more license to get up and get back really so I feel like that's a formation that I could slot into well and do you
0: think though that it's it's quite difficult balancing that formation um I just wanted to know if you think it's difficult to keep that sort of uh positioning as as the wing backs you you sort of play you know, as a back three, not as a back five. And you know, you did really well getting up and down the pitch against South End, but I just wanted to know how, how do you go about that imposing yourself as that sort of position rather than dropping deep into this back five?
1: Um I think it can rely on other team's formation, but um it's kind of if the three at the back are quite defensively sound and even if they are kind of three V three and if they're comfortable, then it still gives you license to get up. And then if necessarily they're not comfortable, then you might have to be play a bit more defensive, but always on the breaks or always kind of in the split bits of play where possession turns over quickly. That's when you can kind of be in a bit more of an advanced position. Because usually at right wing back, you're looking at um, kind of pushing onto their fullback or pushing onto one of their midfielders or so you're already starting in a more advanced position so on turnovers your position can be better but I feel like on Tuesday I had the license to kind of just stay high and wide because it was quite comfortable at the back and when we had good position it, it gives you chance to be high because you can watch the play kind of advancing over to you so you can kind of it's cheat a little bit so you're in a better position for the attack, which is why I feel like I won the penalty because the ball was other side of the pitch and I had the license to stay high, and then it it caught Southend out because the ball got transferred quickly, and they didn't really have time to react. So I feel like it's it's a position that I can play in this.
2: So it's, yeah, you as you said there, you like you made obviously an impact going forward, winning the penalty and also a couple of big big tackles at the back, but. You've spoken there about like the different mentality you have depending on exactly where your position is. One of the things that we're going to be talking about on the podcast this week is change in formation, or partway through a game, or what works, what doesn't. Obviously, uh, Penny did it at the weekend and and changed the formation halfway through through the match. From a player's perspective, if in your head you've got like a different positioning and a different role for each formation. How easy or difficult is it to change that mentality halfway through a game and suddenly go from, say, playing four-two-three-one to to three-five-two or something? Like, is it just like a switch you can flick, or to take a bit more time?
1: I feel like when you're advancing through the game, you can see you can see kind of the pictures that are opening up, and you can assess the weaknesses of the other team, which you see them before with the analysis, but sometimes they might change in the game. Because say if the players are starting to get tired or someone's not having a good game, you can assess that. But I feel like um, you can kind of switch it. And sometimes with a bit of instruction from other players that might know the system a bit better than you or they can help push you on. Especially for me, I wasn't, um, I'm not really a natural Right wing back, but I kind of understand it a lot more now. Playing on Tuesday, and it's helped me kind of gain a bit of insight of that formation, which is something that I can sit down and, and look at further uh, based on my own performance and look at some of the great areas. But I feel like in the game, you can you just see stuff instinctively. Anyways, it's not necessarily something that you have to really think about. Um, so it can be quite easy to just switch.
2: That's cool. So, final question from us, Hadji, is uh, five games into the season, so we've got 41 league games left, what are, you, what are your predictions for the season for Pompey? And are there any games that sort of stand out for you? I mean, even without crowds coming in, are there any big games that stand out for you that you particularly sort of look forward to that match day? Uh,
1: I think Pompey will do well this season up. I know the beginning of the season hasn't been the most ideal, but um, I think it was a big wake-up call that kind of people are working a lot harder, really hard in training and in matches now. And you can see the passion coming out a lot more in the games, especially with the results that are there. And uh, I feel like for the fans, the fans are a bit harsh sometimes, especially I see it. When I'm in there, and I see some of the comments, but um, but I know everything that's kind of going on, and everyone has been working really hard and trying to maintain it on, get it onto the pitch as well. And it's really not, it's good to be around. It's really good to be around because everyone has that winning mentality all the time, and everyone they want to win and they work hard for it, and um, everyone's pushing each other on. So it's it's good to be around. It makes me work harder in training, it makes everyone work harder in training and then come match day, it's enjoyable. It's more enjoyable to watch as well.
2: Yeah, I think one one of the things we're going to talk about from the game at the weekend is the work ethic. Like even, I mean, I think it was noticeable for me watching the game um, potentially compared to first league game of the season was even like, we're slightly under the cosh in the last 20 minutes. That work ethic was literally 100%. It couldn't have been more. You could see that every player on the pitch was putting in the shift that they would need to so yeah I think that was yeah for from our side of the defence definitely good to see on Saturday
1: and everyone walks off the pitch proud of their performance as well which is maybe something that might not have been happening before Absolutely. but yeah. especially for me watching it defensively though they're really they worked really hard and they was under the cush a bit but um it's just sometimes what happens in games It's happened to me in games and as a defender, walking off, you're happy with your performance, really.
0: And you said, you're. Um, I'm just thinking about, obviously, you guys have talking about the, the sort of winning mentality and, and the work you guys have been putting in on the training ground and, you know, on the game as well. And uh, is there anything particularly you got to do against Doncaster as a side um, to try and help sort of neutralise them at the weekend?
1: I think... Obviously, we have instructions from... uh, Yeah, not asking you to
0: spill any secrets, mate. Just. uh...
1: (laughs) (laughs) But um, I feel like just everyone's gone into every game, a lot more passion, a lot more pride. Everyone wants to go and work hard and win for the club and for the fans and for everyone, really. So that's something that's not going to drop. And sometimes games don't go your way, but as long as everyone's working hard, they put 100% in them. They can walk off that pitch knowing that they put hundred percent in.
0: Hadji, thanks again, mate, for coming on the podcast. I'm aware that we've taken up ten minutes longer than we said, so um, go and enjoy your evening, mate. And um, I think you can speak for both of us and say that, and all the listeners listening, that we you know we hope to see you a lot more this season.
1: Thank you.
2: Cheers, Hadji, Thank you.
0: Cheers, mate. Cheers. Thanks again, Hadji, for coming on the podcast. Um, it was really insightful, and you know what, we had we had a really good chat there, and it was nice to see you know a player open up about. You know how he feels about the club, um, and you know his rise from youth football at Pompey uh, into the first team, and all the players really around him. There, you know, some of the players helped support him as well.
2: Yeah, absolutely. It was nice to have a chat. Um, interesting to hear his his thoughts on, you know, how people are giving 110 percent in training, um, and that there is actually, you know, that that drive to succeed. Like he said, it's a squad of people who are used to winning, and. It's very easy for us to sit on the outside as fans, as we do, and you know expect more. Um, but these are people who, you know, they're professional sportsmen who have got to this point by winning consistently over the first eighteen years of their life and being better than the people around them. So they're not going to take well to a bad first couple of games in the season. And by the sounds of it, they've recognised that the first couple of games, the performances weren't at the level they should have been. Um, but yeah, always always interesting to get an insight from the uh the inside of the training uh, of the changing room.
0: Yeah, massively. And uh yeah, thanks again, mate. All right, cool. Let's get into it, Andy. Doncaster, next opponents on Saturday. Uh Doncaster Rovers, pretty good attacking side. Uh they play a 4 2 3 1 formation. Um, ex Pompey, Darren Moore as the manager there. Um, good manager. I know a lot of Pompey fans were talking about him as well. Um, you know, generally I think what's interesting about them as well as a team is they you know, they're supposed to be quite a highly skilled team. Um, they can create goals from nothing. So I've noticed this season they scored seven goals in League One. I think it is, no, eight goals in League One, uh, but they've only got three assisted. So the rest of those goals have gone unassisted already this season. So they can pull a goal out of nowhere. Andy, I know you are egging to tell the whole world about your favourite player who plays for MK Dons, uh, Gomez, uh, holding midfielder. So I'm just going to lead you in now. Go.
2: No pressure. Um, Yeah, so, uh, Magic Gomez. um, You've really, really sold me up the river there a bit, mate. Um, So, he's actually the top goal scorer for Donny this season so far. Um, Hadn't actually scored a senior goal at all until this season, but has now scored three in four games. So, obviously, hit a bit of a a random run of form. Um, He's represented Spain up to under-18 level. Uh, he's now 23, but yeah, represented Spain up to the under-18 youth level. So, man can play obviously. To be, if you're thinking about the plays, he's in the company with at that Spain under-18 level. Um, and yeah, slightly surprisingly, from that defensive midfield role, to be their top scorer. N- no one else in on the side has scored more than one in the league so far this year. Um, so that would you'd, you'd say in terms of form, that's going to be their danger man. Um, as you say, Hugh, they play that that four two three one formation as their, their sort of starting go to. So matching Pompey, so I'd imagine, based on the fact that Kenny Jacket changed our formation in the second half last week to match MK Dons, you'd imagine he would want to match Donny again this weekend. Um, so you'd imagine we'll we'd start with the four two three one as usual, um, and their number nine in that role. Uh, Tyrese John Jules, who's playing up top, uh, on loan from Arsenal. So he has represented represented England between under 16s and under nineteen levels. Um, you would imagine on paper those are the two two players that Pompey will have to be most wary of, um, other than of course James Coppinger, who's been you know playing at Donny since I was. I mean, what's he been there for? Seventeen or something years. So he's been at Donny since I was in year five. So I was like nine or ten. So yeah, pretty long stint at one club. So he's been around the bench for the last couple of games. Um, but he's promised that this is his final season. Uh, so we'll see if he you know, extends that in the same way that someone like Steve Redgrave did with the rowing when he said, what was it? If you see me in a boat again, you can shoot me or something. And then came back and won another gold medal for Team GB. So see if Coppinger does the same thing and keeps extending his contract. But supposedly in his final season, turns 40 in a few months. But is obviously still doing bits for them to be able to, you know, compete in League One at, at age thirty nine.
0: Yeah, no, and that is an achievement in itself, to be honest. And uh, yeah, he's his last season apparently, so I'm sure he's going to want to go out with a bang. Uh, I see John Taylor's been playing on the right as well. Um, he's a player; he's quite good. He's he's got one assist this season. Um, he likes to cut inside a bit and can put a decent ball in the box as well. So. He's a little bit dangerous, as we know. You know they will try and put a ball in the box, but it'll be in front of the striker usually, rather than a looping sort of uh, pass ball into the box. Uh, they like to try and play the ball in front of the striker uh, and get him onto chances like that. So, Andy, let's let's go into it. This is about that's about the extent of my Doncaster knowledge. Let's not let's not go on any more than that. So, score prediction time, mate. Doncaster, are we going to see another win here?
2: I do think so. if you look at the Donny results from the last few weeks, I mean they've had sort of that stand out three one win against Charlton away from home, which is obviously jumps off the page um but you know on that's obviously them hitting their straps on their day. They've drawn with m k Don obviously got dominated in terms of possession there, but they've drawn with m k Dons they've lost by one goal to Wigan, so you know they can be got at so I would back Pompey to take home the three points the fact that it's at home as well at some point we've got to turn this home You know, start pressing this home advantage even without a crowd there Um, actually one thing I was going to say Hugh is how ridiculously gorgeous our pitch has been looking Um, it keeps jumping out at me especially after we've played away from home the pitch looks sexy it's so nice to watch Um, so I don't know if the Pompey groundsman even listens to this but fair play if so doing a very very good job uh, anyway to get sidetracked yeah I, I, I'd i say a Pompey win um, I I think we'll keep a clean sheet in this game so I'm going with a 2-0 Pompey win nice I like their confidence
0: clean sheet as well I, I'm, I'm having a look at this game and I, I'm just going through thinking they've just lost 2-0 to Oldham in the, in the trophy no it's not not really a big deal, but losing to Wigan again, one nil before that, it's quite difficult because you, you look at when they're playing away, and they've been rubbish. In fact, they have not picked up a. Oh no, they beat Charlton away. That's the one. They've got three points. The rest of the games, they failed to win a, a tour away for the season. So I'm, you know what? I'm going to go two one, Pompey. I'm going to I'm going to try and row that positivity. I think you've got the ability to, but we're going to have to come out at at Donny. Um, and and make sure that we, we press them. I think we if we do that. We get on the front foot. Uh, we've got goals in the side. I'm hoping to see Ronan still start on the right. Maybe if we get the four two three one, it's going to be a, a battle of four two three ones going on. But yeah, I'm going to stick my neck out and say two one Pompey.
2: The, yeah, like four two three one against four two three one. And we always say I'd always prefer the Pompey theme on paper. So you've got to back him to deliver after the a couple of wins in a row, right?
0: That's
2: it, mate. Let's keep it going
0: all right people well thanks for listening andy always a pleasure mate thank you for being on the podcast i will remember to tag you in the tweet this time
2: well mate you weren't even you weren't even tagged in the last one like we're yeah. old news only guests get tagged now apparently it's bloody yeah, outrageous
0: yeah. i know mate I, I, no one needs to remember that we're talking on the podcast today they, mate they're just no, we, interested
2: in who, who else is listening we just chat shit week in week out and uh it's the people that visit us far more interesting exactly. FYI, no one even listens to this last minute,
0: but thanks for listening. <laughs> and until next time, flare You have been listening to the PO forecast for Pompey News Now, available on SoundCloud, Spotify and Apple Podcasts. Follow PO forecast at Pompey News Now on
1: Twitter for more information.
0: And there is the full time whistle.